The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. I haven't even gotten to discuss the Elise ad that you sent to me today. I was laughing. Oh, I know. Yeah, 30 it's a, grand it's terrible, terrible for an news. 05, yep. which I love that during the day I, I get this I get this email notification. Not Boing. And <laughs> I thought, okay, it's another Elise. Sure enough, there it was. Uh-huh. Found it in yep. Colorado Springs at the Colorado Springs. Where was that? Was it the Porsche dealer there? Yeah. Something like that. Which I had yeah, to laugh because there was yeah. a Porsche banner hanging in the back mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. the car. <laughs> well, and, and oh, it, I find it, this it so funny. Me even more because it's an easy it's an easy road trip. It's just oh, oh yes, it up, is. you know. I mean it's 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 frightening. I mean, the uh, thing is about the 05, obviously that's a it's gorgeous. a more than 10-year-old car now. The problem and look, I'm going to get into the Porsche weeds. I mean, the Lotus weeds here real quick. You get into the Porsche weeds. I'm in the Lotus weeds because uh, the thing about the 05 is from 05 to 06 they altered the seats. The 06 seats and up are a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's me being picky. Marginally. They also went to LED lights. Of course, you could also get the, and this is the much better choice, you get the Exige seats and you put them in the Elise. Starting in 08, they put the Exige seats in the Elise. That's actually the business the there. If you can do that with the factory supercharger, now with that's fabric the thing. Yes, they're, they're much better. Yes. You know, These slightly upgraded lawn chairs. You're right, yeah. <laughs> but uh, they are much better. <laughs> but, of course, if you want the 08 and up supercharged with the Exige seats, those are forty five grand to touch it. So the ones that are all thirty are all the O fives. But thirty grand, but beautiful twenty five thousand miles. It's that beautiful blue. I'm it's sold. It's my favorite color. I I know. I this it. I sent it to you because it hurt me that much. That's <laughs> I why I sent it, it to you. I yeah. know it did. This is just like oh man. This is the original thing that really got you hooked on the on the lotus thing, i know so. it's it's just enough to be painful it's just enough to start having me make bad examinations of my budget it's terrible terrible <laughs> it really is all bad so anyway so here we are we can talk about everything but lotuses because i did that randomly today and yeah. it was a very bad bad trip yeah. down to the rabbit hole yeah mm-hmm. pretty funny well i just got back from a trip to detroit and had a lovely kia I had an Optima from Avis. Thanks, mm-hmm. Avis. We wish you were sponsoring the podcast, but sadly you are not. <laughs> or the TV show, for that matter. Or the TV show. Well, we're at it. If you'd we're like to get give Avis, us money. Let's just go TV show. Yeah, exactly. I would talk about mm-hmm. Avis all day long and talk about their fleet of Optimas. I I couldn't believe it because I thought, just first glance, it was a something Chevy Malibu. And I was like, nah. And then it was an mm-hmm. Optima and it was a Kia and I perked up. And I got in it, and it had a grand total of six miles on it. And I thought, you've oh got to be gosh, kidding really? me. Y- you, the Avis people, handed me a Kia yeah. with six miles? They, Are you out of your mind? If only they had known. I'm surprised you don't have a flagged account at all the rental counters. Where it's like, <laughs> do not give this guy a car you don't want to have be dust when it comes back. That I amazes just, me. I couldn't believe it. Brand new. Six miles, sitting there, freshly washed. And I, I mean, maybe they could hear my cackling as I left in a cloud of smoke. Probably. Probably. Anyway, I had the pleasure of breaking in a Kia Optima that I've never had to do. And I <laughs> Key came Keyword break. Keyword is break. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, keep going. Well, I, I've never really driven an Optima, and I liked okay. it. And this is not yeah. this is not fakery here. This is not just fawning for some reason. It feels like Kias just work to me. They just... The, yeah, it was very yeah. um, non-optioned. Even the the driver's window was one touch down, but you still had to hang on to it to pull it. You know, to pull the window up. Going really, we're we're still yeah. in this okay. age, but whatever. <laughs> and you could put it in sport mode, and I promptly <laughs> redlined it to death. <laughs> Were but, you ever out of sport mode, though? I can't imagine. No, you would have I was been. never out of sport mode. But then you can shift not. it yourself. It doesn't happen? have paddles. It just you can you know no. slide it to the left and shift it yourself. Mm-hmm. That thing really scoots. It does. I mean, any car does when you hang out above six thousand RPM. But True. this was impressive yes. for as large as it is. It felt great. There's room and inexpensive. It felt well built. And it just feels like a different flavor than the typical Malibus and Your, Camrys and Corollas is. and Jettas and all the stuff that I usually rent. You still have an 
inexplicable love for Kia. I just find it fascinating. I couldn't believe it. I just thought Mr. Mr. Porsche also likes his Kia. You need I like to have like Kia too. What's wrong with me? Two, two you know, <laughs> separated garages with a car, with a space in the middle just to keep the palette cleansed. And one half of the garage has got Porsches, and the other half has got Kias. And we'll just we'll go through a line of those two cars. It's we'll get weird. You some, does Kia? Does Kia make clothing yet? Because that would really be the final straw. When we have the Kia hats and shirts and pants and nicely woven belts or well, whatever it is Kia is going to do, that would be the, the deciding factor. Mm-hmm. Could be, could be cool. I mean, they've got the Stinger GT. Everybody's ranting and raving and freaked out of their minds about this car that Kia could possibly do something. I hate to say it, but I kind of have been seeing it yeah. coming with the amount of design talent they've got stacked in their studio. These guys are sure, pros. Sure. They come from the, the European yeah, manufacturers. Yeah, yeah. They know what they're doing. And then the Stinger comes out, and I'm sort of like, well, yeah, finally. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Well, and, you know, you've got Hyundai over there with kind of blank sheet thinking trying to make a performance model. I mean, these these two companies, these sister companies are gunning big time to yeah. get notice in the performance realm. And so it'll be really interesting to see. I mean, that that in-class, whatever the, the Hyundais are going to be, the in-series, be yeah, really interesting right, to actually right. really get our hands on one of those when they actually oh. exist and are available. And then, of course, hopes. you know, the Stinger from the Stinger from Kia. And then you keep, you know deciding whether or not you should buy a Kia Soul this week. We practically need to have a <laughs> Kia Soul everyday driver camera vehicle just because we at some That's point have got to put idea. our money where our mouth is on that situation. Yeah. Uh-huh. And if it were electric, that would be even better because then you Stop. wouldn't hear the engine Stop. noise from the Kia. You wouldn't. You'd the just hear the tire roar anyway. But, but however, is the, is the Kia Soul really – is that engine growly enough to bother a shot anyway? I kind of doubt it. Well, not really. I don't really. think that's going to be and our problem. Yeah, ultra narrow tires, you won't hear any tire roar whatsoever. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. I think that I think yeah. noise is the least of our worries. <laughs> we have a Kia Kia Soul camera vehicle. We do have car debates this evening to do. We actually have one for Bogdan in Ireland uh, that's coming up, and that's going to be a really cool conversation because he wants to talk about wagons, which doesn't happen much yeah. on the show. So we're glad about that. And Jeff is writing in with not really a car debate as much as he's he's in a, in the nicest way possible. He's picking a fight. He's just going. <laughs> so I did this. Interesting. Tell me I'm wrong. It. <laughs> well, it's what he says. His email is I did this, guys. Tell me how I did it wrong. I mean, that's just kind of walking in and slapping somebody there. So we'll talk about that. Plus, you guys have buried us in questions. Oh I, yeah. I kept. Yeah. We talk about the two-scroll rule. Try to keep it under two scrolls. The only thing that, that there's an exception to that is number of questions on Facebook. It was like four or five scrolls to get through all the questions tonight. There are tons of great ones. I picked out multiple that I loved. So we're going to get into a few of those uh, this evening as well. But shall we start with Bogdan? Yeah, let's jump right into Bogdan's email here. Uh, Bogdan wrote to us actually for the first time back in 2016, July of 2016, and if that gives you an idea about how uh, backed up sometimes we can get with uh, with the emails yeah, coming in. No, Bogdan, really appreciate you writing in and poking us again because this is so interesting. We've never debated cars for Ireland. And I mm. looked this up. There's this road, okay. admittedly a bit of a touristy road, but it's called the Ring of Kerry, K-E-R-R-Y. This is the driver's road in Ireland, apparently. This is the place to go. You've got something hot. This this is the place for driving enthusiasts. So okay. I am thrilled you've got a place for driving. Uh, Bogdan used to live in Belgium, so he's moving to Ireland. A lot of wet weather, of course. But he's yeah, really interested in wagons. Get this. Mm-hmm. 50,000 euros to spend. This is a yep. healthy, yep. healthy budget. I still managed to come up with something that would blow that into the weeds, but uh... <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Stop the podcast! Everybody that is surprised that Paul is going to blow this person's budget right out of the roof, you can turn off the podcast right now. And I can bad. say that with confidence because everybody is still listening. That's actually Not what happened just that now. Bad. I mean, it's just something to think about. But this is really, mm-hmm. really cool. I had no idea there was such driving enthusiasts driving enthusiasm in Ireland, even though they're a small fraction of the global car consumption just by virtue of the country size, which is fine. But turns out you can get just about any car sold on the planet in Ireland. I've been doing Hmm. research here. You can get just about everything. Walk into all the dealerships. Admittedly, there's some slow sales, not that much. But apparently the salespeople there kind of leave you alone. Unlike elsewhere on the planet, especially the U.S., Hmm. they don't attack you. They just sort of let you shop and let you get comfortable. 
and then help you answer questions, that kind of thing. But apparently, so are we I all going car there. shopping in Ireland. Is this what's happening? Maybe they've got the Ring of Kerry. Apparently, this is where we need huh. to go. Okay, I'm Can, well. Here, here's a question. It's one of those things I didn't get a chance to look up fully before the podcast, but I wanted to. And that is, uh, what's the what's the shipping situation? Can you go buy a car in in the UK and ship it over to Ireland without a problem? I, mean, I would think so, but I don't know what kind of costs we're dealing with there. Not sure. We'll have to look into tax stuff and. Uh, the realities of that, but also there's a lot of tax on the cars themselves and engine mm, displacement mm. size. So that is oh, okay. That's All the right. biggest thing to keep in mind, which is why so many small cars. I mean, you know, they they lead the pack. The the Ford Fiestas and the Focus, just normal cars. Of course, the VW sure, Golf yeah. dominates, as do Corollas and the small cars. I mean, we're talking the one liter EcoBoost engine in the Fiesta. <laughs> the tiny, you know, tiny, tiny. Ones. Yeah, sure. To keep the taxes down and keep all that stuff down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> fifty thousand euros. Back to this healthy budget mm-hmm. scenario. Yeah, we have it. Mm-hmm. So Bogdan's looking at uh, at wagons, as he said, because he's got a growing family. Congratulations. And mm-hmm. he's also had a lot of experience driving. He's been on the Nordschleife. He's been doing a, another a whole bunch of long-distance driving. You were describing in your first email, Bogdan. I did go back and read that and look it up. So thank you again for writing in. But uh, <laughs> in two years of ownership for his prior <laughs> Alpha. <laughs> you noticed this too. I read that. It, I read that and it stopped and reread it and backed up and went. Did that just say I, what I, had I to think? It did? Keep going. Keep going. Well, he had an Alfa Romeo one five nine three point two Q four. So in two okay. years of ownership mm-hmm. of this car, he only yes. paid about four thousand euros in tickets. Uh, I am boggled that the word "only" exists in that sentence. I, that's what stuck out to me too. <laughs> <laughs> is this I, I a thought, typo? Is there an was, extra zero? What was, what was the allowable amount, Bogdan, if only 4,000 euros in tickets was the sentence? What was the allowable amount? Did you have like an $8,000 budget set aside and went, oh, I only spent 4,000 of that. That's great. I mean, I applaud <laughs> you for – Exactly. I applaud you for one thing, though. It's, it's the, it's the pay-to-play element. There is some sort of level where if you want to drive quickly, at some point you're going to wind up with a ticket. Yeah. So your choices are I'm never going to drive quickly or you're just going to kind of pay to play and go, okay, that happened. It's a bummer cost and moving on, Um, you know, because it's at least most cases, it's your kind of financial slap on the wrist. You can't keep getting tickets, but how are there no points on licenses? Four thousand euros in tickets. Does that not damage the license at all? I'm I'm glad it hasn't. Yeah. Maybe it's just keep paying and keep paying Mm -hmm. and keep driving fast and keep paying. I I can't. (laughs) I can't believe the only part exists on there. But I'm glad that Bogdan can still drive, and he's excited, and we're moving on to what's the new wagon. There is the other part of this email that's funny, and that is all the cars that we cannot recommend. He has taken them right off the list. Yeah. Volkswagen is completely gone. No Volkswagen. I mean, you brought up how popular golfs are, and you're right, and they they would work for everything we're talking about. However, Volkswagen was already out. He already has not had good Volkswagen experience. Then Dieselgate killed it. He just decided... Any hope of Volkswagens in my life were completely killed by Dieselgate. The entire brand is off limits. So, okay. And then he'd kind of like to be in something that's just not your typical gray BMW. So, all right, we'll, we'll have to deal with that as well. So we're limiting things already to some usual suspects, but hopefully we can find something anyway. I hope so too, and I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to start off with Renault. Todd and I are pretty impressed with Renault especially mm-hmm, by virtue mm-hmm. of our track time on the Nordschleife in the 265 again. Sure. I'm coming away impressed with these cars, and I'm looking at the new Megane Sport Tour GT Nav. Now, this tops out at okay. like 31,000 euros. So here I am saving you money for the first time ever, Bogdan. I am here to save you money. <laughs> Think of that. You could get some other little fun Miata S2000, something else like that, with the leftover oh, the cash. All right. Sure. Maybe. I get that. I get that. Yeah. But this is interesting to me because the new design is really great. I'm really a fan of Renault stuff. I mean, come on. They field race teams worldwide. They're, you know, Formula One. They've got a long mm-hmm. history of racing. And so that just, you know, warms my little heart to know that they've got race experience and you know <laughs> all this all this race background this this history so i'm 
I'm liking that from the perspective of this could really pull you towards, hey, I've got the fun wagon. I'm just going to go hoon it. And as yeah. you're saying, yeah. it's going to be lots of solo runs to the shops and back because you're going to forget to buy stuff and have to run back. So excuse to drive your car. That's kind of where I'm going. <laughs> I see that. Yeah. All the excuses to drive are better. Yeah. I'm I'm looking at this thing. I kind of wish that it was sold in the U.S. I think it, mm-hmm. I could make a business case for this car. Even the new, okay. just the regular McGann. But sadly, we don't get them. Apparently, as I said, in Ireland, you can get almost anything. Which led me to the second car on my list here. And I admit it's part of the Volkswagen group. I admit. Okay. Skoda yeah. Octavia Combi RS. The hot Interesting. wagon. Interesting. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, well, I mean, maybe this saying this is a bad thing, but it felt Audi-like to me. It it didn't feel yeah, like it is. Well, but this is the you thing with the Skodas car. and the Seats. Absolutely, it's the thing with the Skodas and the Seats that uh, those are cars that feel like they're last gen Audis, and I don't mean that as a slap. They just feel like they got the last gen Audis and they put them out as new cars, but they upgraded other things in them. It's funny that you brought up the Skoda because I do think that Octavia is a really good. We actually have a review of that coming up soon, so I think that is a really good option, but. In that kind of almost a Volkswagen, I was thinking, what about the Seat Leon? Yeah, very the, much the, so. The non the non all wheel drive Golf R, if you will. Look at the one that, that Tom drove. Okay, right. It's the right. Golf R, but just front wheel drive. It's cheaper, but it's it's cool looking. It's not that common. What about that? Are we so anti Volkswagen that we can't go subsidiaries? <laughs> this is what I don't know. That's what I, I'm wondering I, too. I, I'm glad you threw that it's a out. Fair there. question. I, I you know agree. because I, I think. We're we're both kind of walking around in the Volkswagen world without actually being a Volkswagen product. Where is the line? I'm glad you brought that up. Keep going. Well, that kind of makes me think of Tom's fun times in the Peugeot 208 GTI and 308 GTI. Those are for sale in Ireland, too. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're probably not big enough. He spent an entire... He spent an entire – well, here's the thing, though. Everything we're talking about, actually, and I want to get into a kind of bigger wagons, but except for your Skoda, everything we're talking about now is kind of more – even Magan, it's kind of more hot hatchbacks than it is full wagon. So I'm not sure where the line is there either. I mean, what we have talked about is Ireland is kind of small car preference. It but is. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that 308 that Tom had all day at Spa, he took the 308 <laughs> press car, spent an entire day with our friends at RSR at Spa – Hooned it all day. It still had brakes and tires left. And Tom's not kidding around if you've watched his stuff. Still had oh, brakes yeah. and tires left, and he kept driving it and drove it home. So that says a lot for that car as far as what it can do. We are still playing you know, in the hot hatch realm. I thought of a couple wagons and one wild card. Do you okay. have anything else? I've got one more here with the new, the brand newly announced Volvo XC60. I didn't mm, see mm-hmm. Polestar for sale in Ireland. I didn't see it on the website, so my question lingers out there if the Polestar products are available there. But the brand super, super new XC60 that is sort of the baby brother to the XC90, this is mm-hmm. gorgeous. It's 53,000 euros to start, so it blows your budget a little bit, probably even more <laughs> when you get it loaded yeah. and all that stuff. Um, I just, I'm really impressed by this. I mean, I was thinking originally Macan S, but that is even used in Porsche Dublin. They're just crazy, still really crazy expensive. So that's out. So I came back to the Volvo, the XC60. I really like this car. I want to drive it. I, I'm pretty impressed. I think it could be a good balance between, you know what, we could go have some fun with it and, you know, family duty, all the things that you need at Fort Bogdan. So those are my three. That's where I'm at. The Renault, the Skoda, and the, the new, new XC60. So, okay, okay. Well, excellent stuff. I'm glad you brought up the Volvo because he actually brings up Volvo. He goes on a little diatribe here in the middle where he's always had a thing for the Volvo estates, the big Volvo wagons. And I have to admit right up front here, Bogdan, that you kind of have to because Volvo for those few years was racing. I mean, hooning and winning with Volvo wagon race cars. Heck yeah, the How cool is that? Yes, yeah. yes, I know. The problem with the current Volvos by comparison, and I'm only saying by comparison, those were rear-wheel drive. The old race cars were rear-wheel drive. Yeah. yeah. The, all the Volvo product now is a front-wheel drive or front-wheel drive biased system. So that's the downside, okay? So you, th- those days of the classic rear-wheel drive big Volvo estate, those days are bygone era now. 
okay? But, but, since you already like Volvo, I will say this to you. If you can get a Volvo that intrigues you, this could do fantastic family duty. They are great looking inside and out. In fact, I was just about a week or two ago, a friend of ours was, was here, and he actually had a V60 wagon as his rental car, and I got in that for the first time in a while. Nice. That is one of those cars that has twice as much room inside as you think. Really? That V60 okay. wagon. Uh, with in my seating position up front, I get comfortably into the back. Really? Like like climb in and knees aren't even touching the seat in front. And you look at that car and it doesn't seem that big. It doesn't seem nearly that big. So it's packaged very well. We love the Volvo seats. We love the feel of Volvo interiors. If you're thinking Volvo, I will back your play on all the usability items of it. Unless you're going to go Polestar, what's the fun to drive factor? Well, it's not as high as you're probably hoping for. It's not the old classic Volvo rear-wheel drive wagon, but I'm not going to shy you away from the brand. Those wagons are interesting, unique, usable. There's so many good things going for them. Um, I think you're going to have to go used if you want to have fun. I think that really is where we end up here. Yeah, um, yeah, but taxes, you know, that's going to be yeah. the big thing. Um, well, that's the that's the reason I brought up the UK thing, because I'll, I'll bring that back around in a minute with, with one of my ideas, but... I'm wondering about uh, what are used five series estates. Interesting. Because the and five series over, is just or even possibly, get it there but, in Ireland. but even get it locally. A used five series. Because the five series, especially ones that aren't the monster engines, those things drop like stones in every market. The five series is that used value everywhere. You know, the, the new they're expensive, and then used they just seem to have no value at all. And the 5 Series wagon is a specific car. There's not going to be a lot of them, but I can't think they're going to hang on to their value either. But yet, you get the nice rear-wheel drive 5 Series wagon. It's still got – they're interesting. They're usable. They've got good dynamics. Somebody asked once why we don't recommend the X-Drive versions of BMWs a lot. I'm going to say this as my answer to it. I think once the BMWs become X-Drive, they kind of lose that extra special factor that a rear-wheel drive BMW has. It kind of mutes that. Sure. And so now it just becomes a little bit more car. Nice Just by car, virtue of car. the mechanicals and all the stuff added mm -hmm. on. And it, it loses the, the nimble tactility. I know I'm using weird words here, but it uses there, – there's something about a BMW. When we did the M235i versus the S3, great example, Okay. The M235i had that BMW rear-wheel drive specialness. When you kill that with all-wheel drive, you've kind of taken away the BMW number one party trick. That's why the X-Drives don't come up much. Yeah, uh, if you want to go all-wheel drive, that. we'll go somewhere else. Sure. So back to 5 Series. So okay. 5 Series estate, rear-wheel drive. I also lust after them because we don't really see them here. But I think you should look at for a used one of those. I'm also <laughs> curious about – I have to say it. Used E-Class. Is Mercedes run? coming next? Yes. <laughs> what, what's a used E-Class? E I mean, because you can is. go back. That's We've awesome. got a friend here in town that's got an old used E-Class. It's not the big monster AMG, but he's still got a V8 under the hood, and it's a heck of a car. So if you're going to shop used, I think you have much better options. And also, it's kind of a blending of what you liked about the Volvo estates, but a newer car. Yeah, That's sure. why I'm thinking about those two. And then my wild card is the Macan. Oh, it is. Because You're going there. I'm with you. I'm with, yeah, because what's he asking for? He's asking for a family car, a true family car. Yeah. That yeah. also feels a bit luxurious and special. It doesn't, he doesn't want it to be a car that he sees all the time. And he can hoon it when necessary. That's pretty much the Macan build sheet. You know, mm. I mean, that's kind yeah. of its reason yeah. for being. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love our Cayenne, but the Cayenne is not a car to track. The Macan could be a car to track. I can't believe I just said that sentence, but it's true. <laughs> okay? So the thing about the Macan that I notice is that most of the ones I find in Ireland are running 60 grand or 60,000 euro. So, um, okay, that's out of your price. But that leads me to wonder because I found them for 45 in the UK. So what's the cost of buying one and shipping it? That's why my question came up. But was because it right-hand drive or left-hand drive is my question. I'm sure the U.K. ones were all, were all right. Yeah. I'm sure they were all right. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at cars in, in Ireland here that are right, too. So, clearly, that's not an issue. Um, okay. So, okay. The, the, that's why I'm wondering. I'm wondering about cars in the U.K. seem to be inexplicably cheap, used cars. They seem to always have been. 
you so know, I wonder as, about yeah, as we talk about those luxury cars that drop off a cliff after two years, you know, and they're even more so in the UK. So that's why I wonder. Okay, if you can't, get, and again, I don't have this answer. I'm sorry, I did not have time to to dig into this question far enough to answer my own question. But Bogdan, you could probably tell me if you buy something in the UK. I'm not saying in Europe and ship it. UK. Buy a used Macan for your price and ship it over. Are you still in your budget? I don't have an answer, but I'm curious. So that's why that's my wild card. Not so much into beer, but I will admit that Guinness is pretty much at the top if I were to be into beer. I do like Guinness, you know, every once in a while. But I definitely steer towards the whiskey, you know, the Irish wine. That's kind of where I, I <laughs> enjoy. Are you... Are you drinking during tonight's podcast or not? No, not drinking during this one. I, I thought, well. <laughs> not, not, not currently. You'll wait until we're at least closer to the end. Once we get to Facebook questions, you'll start drinking. I, I That's might. when really get fun. I don't yeah, actually uh-huh. own any Irish whiskey. I do have a lot of Scottish. <laughs> but, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't do it. So, uh, anyway, Bogdan, hope that helps you a lot. And thanks for writing. Thanks for poking us again, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. We'll move on to Jeff in Grand Junction, Colorado. This yep. question is so much fun. He's asking what he should have bought. Okay, so uh-huh. we'll tell you the story, but what he's asking and writing into us is, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me that what I did was wrong. And as you said, he's almost yeah. trying to you know, pick a fight. I should say that with he's, an Irish accent, but, you know, I can't do that, so he's, I won't. He's, he is picking a bit of a fight. I mean, Jeff really is just, he's he's walking in, throwing the door open and going, this is what I did. Tell me I did it wrong, guys. I dare you. Okay. Totally. All right. Yeah. That's, that's fair. That's fair. Because here's the thing that Jeff gets into that we don't normally get into. Jeff has an ongoing project car he loves. He's built it into a bit of a Franken-monster, but it. I'll, I'll, I'm going to put it out there right now, Jeff. If you're going to come in and slap me, I'm going to say, can we drive your car on camera? Oh, Grand Junction is not that far away. Oh. I want to put it out there. I want to drive your, your Franken beast because you have Even done better. the engine swap thing. <laughs> and you've asked us, why on earth do we not talk about LS swaps a lot? Now, when Ben and Ben from Gears and Gasoline were on, they got into LS swaps. And Big Ben, Tall Ben, was, was joking with Small Ben because apparently Small Ben goes to the LS swap all the time. And we don't <laughs> yes. really talk about it. Yes. I want to answer your question, at least from my perspective, right up front, Jeff, and say this. The reason we don't normally talk about LS swaps is if you're a person who wants to take a car and swap the engine, you aren't necessarily a large swath of the average enthusiast. There are many of you out there. True. But now you True. have to have money, time, tools, interest, Ability to wrench, all of these things to just take this car, unless you're going to pay somebody like Flying Miata to make you one. If you personally want to do an LS swap, that's now a whole separate hobby. Forget I like to drive. That's a separate bank account right there. So it's it's really hard for me to recommend to somebody, you know what you should do? You should buy a car and change the engine. (laughs) I I, I have a lot of trouble recommending it. I am not saying it's not done successfully. I have seen cars, driven cars, done successfully is absolutely possible. The LS is amazing for that reality. You can – if you want to frighten yourself and never sleep again, do a Google search for swap LS motor into – just fill in that sentence however you like and read for the rest of the evening, okay? (laughs) So – Good. There's tons of it. I know it works. I'm fascinated personally by the flying Miata reality. It's just you're not the every person when you're doing that. That is a specialized thing. It's really hard to recommend unless somebody comes to us and goes, I would like to LS swap in, uh, uh, put an LS into something. What do you think? That's a question I feel like we can answer. But I'm never going to go, buy a car and put a different engine in it. I just can't. I can't get there. Mm-hmm. And aside from the flying Miatas and the monster Miatas that are built that way, and sell for a pretty good price. When Absolutely. you're when you're doing something like this, I mean, Jeff, this is a complete one-off, and it sounds awesome. I mean, I'm it sure does. it sounds it awesome, does, yeah. but it sounds great on paper here too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My question is: Should you want to sell that later? It's only worth what somebody will pay for it. So all true, this money true, and time yeah. and effort going into a car like this is really only worth what somebody's somebody thinks it's worth. Okay. We can kind of quantify that, but – and again, that's not why you did this whole thing anyway. Of course, that's not the reason. No, of course not. You've hung onto this car for 13 years. You bought it for mm-hmm. 6500 put about twenty grand into it. 
with everything else, I'm going to call it 30. I'm going to call your budget 30. Yeah. If you would yeah, start it then. I think that's fair. So 13 years ago, could you have gotten a BMW uh, M3, the E46 M3 for 30 grand? Eh, probably not. Now you could. You could get some really mm -hmm. nice ones for 30 grand. But could you sell this and go do something different and put that money into maybe, maybe you could sell this for about 30, but who knows? Maybe not. See, but I don't, so I don't, now you're I don't know. See, this is the problem. We actually haven't clarified. I should clarify. This is a 1986 naturally aspirated Porsche 944. That's the start car. Right, right. I'm but glad along you said the that. way, everything changed. It now has a 430 horsepower LS3. It has six piston Willwoods. I mean, it's got the 944 turbo transmission in there, adjustable shocks, I mean, upsized wheels. This has been done and done well. I, I, I'm putting it out there, Jeff. When can we come drive it? Or alternatively, <laughs> do you want to come to us? That's, what, put that's my suggestion. How about you drive out yeah. to Utah? Yeah, yeah we'll show you some trip. amazing roads. Bring that car out here. That, that's the thing. I would put that car on camera tomorrow. It sounds fascinating to drive. You've got... Ultimately, just listen to this recipe, a 430-horsepower 944 that you even weighed. You had it corner-weighted. It now has a 50.1% front weight bias. It's still a 50-50 weight bias car. This is what you pulled off with this LS motor. This sounds spectacular, my friend. It does. It but really does. I don't know that you could sell it for what you have into it. Right there, I don't know that you could. We kind of did it that sounds backwards. Awesome. We, we got right in because we have the email in front of us, of course. Everybody yeah. listening is going, what is the car? Tell us what is the car. But, but I, think the, I think the thing is, I think there's two parts of this, Jeff. I think your car sounds awesome, but I honestly don't think you could get your money back out of it. If you said tomorrow, I'm going to sell this for twenty five grand, I don't know if you'd get twenty five grand. I, I, I hate to say it. I think 18 to 20 is a sweet spot for your car to sell it. So this is the problem with these LS-swapped cars or cars that have a ton of stuff done to them. In a weird way, as you really modify a car, it loses value faster in many cases. Mm -hmm. yeah. I am in no way saying bad choice, Jeff, because honestly, this sounds awesome. Oh, I agree. But, I, I, you know, I remember – did I show you this car? When I sold my Saab 92X – there was a guy online, and which I sold it a couple of years ago, and there was a guy online selling what I have to say is the perfect 92X. Okay. It was a black one. It was a black one he had engine swapped with the STI motor. He'd made an STI 92X. It was 300-plus horsepower. It had great racing wheels on it. It was slightly lowered. He had coilovers on it. Spectacular car. Spectacular car. It is the 92X. If I was going to have the perfect 92X, this guy's already built it. He wanted $19,000 for it. A year later, it was still on sale. Yeah, see, that's the big issue. And I can't tell you you're wrong either, Jeff. I, I'm reading the whole email and just floored by what you've got because I looked. Yes, you're still 400 pounds lighter than an E46 M3. And I know, I know. Yeah, everything about it. Sounds amazing, but we just come back to the money. But of course, mm -hmm. I think you're arguing at us in your head or at your phone or whatever you're listening to, and saying that's not <laughs> why I did this, guys. That was that's of irrelevant not. to me, and therefore that not. justifies this project all day long. Yeah. So okay, because Jeff is sending us questions about should I have gotten a used 911? Should I have gotten a pony car or the M3 mm -hmm. or something like mm -hmm. that? What should I have done with this money? But you can't buy the experience that you've gotten with this car. The love no, no. and the learning and everything you've done to this car, you can't buy that, but then you can't sell it to get your money back, as Todd said. Exactly. Exactly that's, right. It, it, that's the balance right there. If it's a this, labor of this, love, done. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. Thank, thanks for calling it labor of love. I mean, it, this, this, is, this is when your car is also your hobby. And I don't mean cars are your hobby, meaning cars and driving are your hobby. That's a separate thing. I'm talking about building a car. When that becomes your hobby, the, the, the defining thing for me about a hobby is it's something that you only spend money on. You don't get money back. You love it, but you spend money. Money is outgoing for you to do that thing. I'll give you a great example. Skiing for me is a hobby. No one will ever pay me to ski. I pay 
an exorbitant amount to put myself <laughs> and my family on the mountain. We love it, but it is a hobby because we pay for it. When you're starting to do engine swaps and just play with your car and try new things and build a one-off monster that may be fantastic, and this one sounds like it is, that is a hobby car. You will never get that money back out, and who cares? Right, right. So because in the same way that, okay, I spent money on skiing this year with my family and money well spent. We had a great time. So I'm going to come back specifically to your question because you have a three. I have to review this. You have a 3,000-pound, <laughs> 50-50 weight distribution, 430-horsepower, 944. My next sentence is, yes, please. Absolutely, Jeff. Drive I, I, that baby on out. Drive it on out. Yes. I love everything about this. So I'm going to speak directly to your question. Should you, with the same money, have bought a used 911, a used pony car of some kind, or a used E46 M3? I'm going to shoot holes in all of those ideas right now. The 911, uh, okay, worthwhile, but for the same money, I would say the better driving car, because it's closer in weight and balance, is actually the Cayman, not the 911. So I'm glad you said out. that. Yeah, I'm glad you went there. Cayman for argument. Yeah. Pony car would have required handling help. What would you have to do to a used twenty to $25,000 pony car to get it to handle like your 944 does right now? I don't have the answer to that question, but I'm pretty sure it's a lot. <laughs> and then the E46 that you would, have, you would have bought for 15, 20 grand, let's say, that would have just required money to make it run like its showroom again. Forget maintaining it and turning it into something else. It'd be fun, but there will be money required. So I, Jeff... You've asked me to prove you wrong. I don't think I can. <laughs> I wonder if, he's, if that's the answer Jeff was looking for. I, uh, I can't prove you wrong either, Jeff, because speaking of resto mods, I mm -hmm. like the idea of the resto mods that keep it all in the same family. Chance's Mustang is a great example. He's mm, got an mm. engine from a far newer, a 30-year-old newer car, even though the – you know lot of lineage there, but he's got a newer sure. engine. That's what he's putting in the Mustang. Yeah, it's yeah. all Ford product. He's keeping mm -hmm, it in the same mm -hmm. family. So for that reason, I like the idea of a Porsche 928 with, you know, the turbo V8 from a, from a modern Panamera, something like that. That's a sure. really expensive resto mod. It is. I've never been Fun, a huge though. fan of the 914s with the 350 small block Chevy swap. I've never really been a fan of that. Although awesome. I'm sure they're amazing. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm kind of going back and forth, and I think I, I'm with you. I, spending that kind of money, and you would just have a car. You wouldn't have something quite this special and something to go up against. You can go up against anything with this car. Straight line yeah. speed or handling, name mm -hmm. the car. I mean, yeah, I, I obviously there's I limits there, of course, but you know what I mean. I'm, I'm just saying this thing will hold its own with just about anything on the road, and for the money you put into it, I can't tell you you're wrong. <laughs> I just, yeah. I but can't. I, I love, Jeff, honestly, I'm really, really glad you wrote in with this question and just said, here's my car, talk me out of it. Because it's gotten us discussing this whole LS swap thing and project cars of this level that we don't normally touch on and, and just kind of giving you our headspace about it. Mm -hmm. there, is a, there is a labor, I, I love that you said labor of love earlier, Paul. That, that's true. There's a labor of love element to this that you oh, just have absolutely. to decide, this is what I'm going to do. And when you do that, you're not really shopping in the standard car debate form. You're going, right, I love right. this, and I'm going to head down this road and see what I come up with, which is cool if you have the money and the time. And uh, I'm happy to get out our calendar, Jeff, and we can figure out a date for you to come out. <laughs> we'll shoot your car. Uh, should we do Facebook questions before we get ourselves further in the weeds? Yes. I'll leave this debate with one question for everybody who's thinking about okay. resto mods. Mm -hmm. One question is... When is somebody going to drop a Porsche 7 uh 18 motor into the GT86? Now, that's interesting. I hear that. It is. It is. Now, transmission going to say that out, but whatever. I thought you were going to say that in the 914 chassis. 914 too, but because Wouldn't flat be 4 yes. turbocharged mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of that stuff. There's going to be a lot of plumbing and a lot of engineering and sawing and cutting to be yeah. done. But Yeah. Porsche 718 motor into a GT86, 350 horsepower in that car, in your car, in Chance's car. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. That's but a contender honestly, like I, this car. What, 
I'm sure there's almost a kit for it now, but you know there's the LS swap that a million people have probably done to this car already. That yeah. would be interesting to know what the, what the what properly properly shake out an LS swap for the GT86. What is that? Uh, that could be really cool as well. I know that's been done. I just don't have it in front of me. But uh, it seems to make a lot more sense than that Ferrari motor that was done for the. Of course, it was a paid for project. Which when you got a company funding you, let's go try that. But the drifter <laughs> that built the uh, the Ferrari motor that sticks out of the top of the GT86 because let's be honest, it doesn't really fit, but it makes for fun YouTube video. So uh, right. yeah, that's when it gets really into madness. Uh huh. Right. Okay. So now we can do questions. We're good. Okay. Good. Good, good. I have quite a few that I've grabbed, um, but uh, I actually want to start with one from Instagram, and then I've got a bunch from Facebook. Uh, Schmidt Schmash is his name, and he has written in something that I was reading, and I was like, I like this question, I like this question. Then it took a terrible turn at the end. And when I read it, <laughs> I you will this. know, Paul. He says, in your uh, opinion, what's the best color for a car, for you to really see the design, see all the curves. And he feels like, and I agree with you, he feels like that black hides the curves of a car. I agree with that. He also feels like that white, when you get on a really bright sunny day, also hides the curves of a car. I agree with that too. We're doing really great. And then the question takes a turn. He says, so I'm thinking that silver is the perfect color for a car. No, you don't. Don't do that. So you know what silver is? That was a nice I have to do my silver twist right there. I love that. Seriously, I have to do. We were going so well, and then this turned badly. I have to say again, my silver rant. Silver is essentially just the shiny version of the metal they made the car with. It's, it's like why even bother? It's I, oh, I just Mercedes silver want, arrows, Audi silver. Silver's been fine. the best selling color, color for decades. Fine, just because everybody does it has never been a convincing argument for anything. Okay, that that yeah. Anyway, popularity does not prove worth. Moving on. Um, the uh, well, I, I, I'm gonna. I, just, I have so much trouble with silver cars. I I think bright is the way to go. I love. I I want to give you silver time because you're going to defend silver, but I'm going to say look <laughs> at the bright, almost matte colors that are out there right now. Look at the the matte almost baby blue. The bad description, but light blue that that uh, are on the M cars. Or is the special edition color on the Porsche GT3? Fantastic color. You get a nice yellow on a good design. It has to be a good design because yellow looks terrible on a bad design. But a really good design, look at the yellow on the the Lamborghinis. Or even on the Lotus, it looks really good. Bright colors are absolutely my go-to. But, of course, I admit I don't like silver cars and I drive an orange car. So (laughs) poke fun at me. That's fine. (laughs) All right, all right. I in defense of silver a tiny bit. I think it's th- there are shades of silver just like any color. There's some that are shades duller and of more silver. gray. The yes. sentence was just made a shade of silver. Well, oh, I'll, I'll say no. uh, I'll say hue then. Hues of silver oh, from okay. from the more mundane, very sophisticated all the way up to bright hot beautiful eye-popping silvers. It depends on the silver for me. I agree. I don't want to get it into the dull grays. That's Has pretty Has anyone boring. ever said the combination of words eye-popping silver before? Has that ever happened? Hey, it's a thing. It's now a you thing. You've coined it. it I, you've coined I'm it. I'm telling you, it's a thing now. All right. Okay, good. Well, so in this case, I go from somewhere between charcoal to pretty bright reds. And talking about ambient mm. occlusion, if you're not aware of what ambient occlusion is and highlights, done. this is where we want to evaluate the design of a car. And I think those color ranges, the warm colors down to mm. the grays that still, not black, because with black, all that ambient occlusion disappears. You can't see undercuts. You can't see turn-ins and right. all that kind of stuff very well. With charcoal, it still allows you to see highlight and dark spots, the the AO, the occluded yeah, areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I'm thinking is uh, the, the warm color range. Of course, blue works too. The blues and greens will work uh, pretty well too. But yeah, they've they've got to be somewhere in that range. Not too bright. White's too bright. Designs disappear mm-hmm. in white. Honestly, they I'm not do. a fan of white cars. Even McLarens in white, I think, yeah. Why didn't you get a color? Yeah. White is the cheapest paint possible it has no pigment in it there's no pigment it's just cheap base color white is what you paint your artist canvas with your gesso before you paint the picture (laughs) before you put the color on 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'm not a fan of white. Just like you with silver, white with me. I'm just... Yeah, I get that. It just disappears. Anyway, so excellent question. This is something we could debate for another 40 minutes. Probably. I like Especially because you start talking about occlusion. Yeah, you're in the design world, then I'll just step back and give you the floor. Bravo. Well done. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's all good. All good. Uh, Wow. Alex Mataloni, besides the Datsun 240Z... If you haven't watched the review, we just dropped that today. Mm-hmm. What is our favorite generation of the Z car? I think it's pretty obvious for Todd, but yeah, I'm going to say I almost it. shouldn't answer this question. <laughs> Go on. Yeah. Probably shouldn't, but you know what? The 300Z, but I like the 300Z generation before your car, before the 89 through 95 oh, okay. gen. The Z31. The Z31, sure. Correct. Uh-huh. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. like that car still a lot. I just It, it just seemed to be the modern iteration of of what the 240 mm-hmm. was. So I, I do dig that yeah. car, but 300Z, all day long. That's, that's yeah, it. Yeah, I'm saying the Z32 all the way to the point that uh, actually Ryan DeClue wrote in on Facebook. And just he's just teasing me with his 1991 twin turbo. <laughs> yes, that I saw bought. that. It is, it is beautiful. <laughs> uh, 500 rear, rear wheel horsepower on uh, E85. Um, yes, uh, winner. You know what? You know what? When when Jeff brings his car, would you bring yours, Ryan? We'll just we'll oh. just we'll, yeah, we'll just we'll have a meetup here in Utah. We'll just drive people's cars. That needs to be our new racket. Bring your car to Utah. We'll show you good roads. We'll get you on camera. <laughs> if you dare you tell go. us about your cool car and show us pictures yeah, exactly. of it, we'll dare you back and tell us you to uh, to drive them but out. But yes, Ryan, you're you're hurting me with your twin turbo Z32. <laughs> that is definitely my answer. I know I'm a foregone conclusion there because I owned one, but I just I still just love those cars. <laughs> it's my dad. Would say he knows where your goat's tied. He's even got my fifteen-year-old yep, right. nephew saying that now. I'm like, you've been hanging around my he dad does. too much. What on earth? Are yeah, you saying? that's that's something the fifteen-year-old should not repeat. That, <laughs> no that kidding. Just, that's old man speak. It, totally. It's funny, but it's old man speak. It's so weird. Anyway, to come out um, of him. It's so strange. <laughs> Ross uh, Ross wrote in and asked this question, which I thought was great because I thought of two cars and then suddenly realized. Oh my gosh, same manufacturer. What's the oldest car that feels modern enough to the point it could be on sale today? I've got two for you. Two. I think if you took and upgraded the interior technology, put in a new stereo that has Bluetooth and touchscreen and integration with your phone, in these two cars, you could sell them almost unchanged. First gen NSX and S2000. Mm, Honda at the top of their game. Those cars are so good. Even if you think about the fact the S2000's got electric steering. I mean, come on. This is essentially a modern car, a current car made 20 years ago. Either of those cars with an upgraded interior, upgrade the seats, upgrade, you know, the the look of the uh, entertainment features and get rid of the digital dash on the S2000 and you'd have a brand new car. You could sell it just like it is. Romeo, did everybody see this today? Porsche Design Miami. The Porsche Design Tower Miami. You can actually now live inside uh-huh. Porsche Design. Uh-huh. This is phenomenal I, I really was hoping news, we everyone. wouldn't go here. This is yeah, the greatest news. Six to eight million for a condo. I mean, at that sure. price, I'll take two. I mean, come on. This is, this is so relatable. I'm so this glad we brought this up. Such fantastic news. Just... Yeah, it's I can't just wait affordable to to housing for everyone. I, mm-hmm. can't, I yeah. can't wait. So you're you're practically packing boxes, knowing you. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ferrari's doing roller coasters and bed sheets and teddy bears and trinkets Again, and Porsche. Just has because a others did it tower? doesn't make it right. Oh but, my yeah. gosh! Mm-hmm. Hello. Anyway, good news, everyone. <laughs> You can move to Miami now. And- good, good news. <laughs> With your $8 million, we have a Porsche-designed living space for you. <laughs> Terrible. Yeah, okay. Um, Had to cover that. Josh wrote uh, – sorry, not Josh. Joseph Triplett wrote in and asked uh, – he's heard that passenger cars are designed in favor of understeer for safety instead of oversteer. Why is understeer considered safer than oversteer? That's a great question, actually. I'm going to try to answer it. Um, When a car reaches its limits at understeer with your typical driver, they're going to kind of wind up the direction they were pointed, and a bad driver is just kind of going to be, for lack of a better way to put it, put in a least worst-case scenario. A bad driver that encounters oversteer, if they don't know how to correct a car's behavior, they're going to be spinning off 
in unknown directions and aren't, aren't going to see the wall coming. I hate to say it, but it's true. Um, if you watch <laughs> one of our, uh, yeah, it's serious. If you watch one of our, uh, uh, training pieces with the Ford uh, Performance School. We did the skid car in two different occasions. It's interesting oh, yeah. to watch the difference between the skid car when it goes wrong. When they have it set on understeer setting and you steer and the car loses grip, it just keeps spearing off in the direction you're going. It's still just going straight. Now, that's not ideal, obviously. You can still hit guardrails and stuff. But watch when it goes wrong when it's set on oversteer. It goes wrong by a violent spin. So this is the thing. You've got a for lack of a better way to put it, a more this is a terrible way to put it, a more controllable, out of control situation. The car is going to do less if it's set up for understeer than if it is going to be capable of oversteer. That would be my answer. I'm more in control in my out of controlness. Yes, isn't that, that, something like that? That right? is maybe one of the most most clear descriptions I've ever done. <laughs> I, I apologize to all of you listening for how badly I tried to do that. <laughs> That's interesting. But, but but you follow what I mean, though. I mean, oh, yeah. it's, it's just yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, Hector asks the question that a lot of you have been asking here about Ed China leaving Wheeler Dealers on Velocity because Mm -hmm. of his video. He put out a video saying, you know, he was asked to lower the quality of work. I I think Mm -hmm. it was in Mm -hmm. terms of speed things up that would eventually the ripple effect would lower the quality of his work. And I really enjoyed watching him on there. I wish him the best. We both do. I, I think he was great. I certainly learned a lot watching him and and uh, you know, watching the the approach that he would take, it was very. He broke it down into basic things. It's, you know, cars are designed by people. They're built by people. They can be rebuilt by yeah. people. And let's take logical approaches. And you just learned all kinds of stuff from him. So no, Hector, we do not anticipate that happening uh, for us as well. That's that's definitely not in the cards for us. And. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're we're in this well, together. That's that's the biggest point. Getting, is Todd and I are in this let's together. Cl- let's clarify his question a little bit further. He's asked: A, has Velocity asked us to dumb down our work? And B, if they did so, would one of us leave? That's actually what Paul's kind of alluding to here. Yeah. I want to say a couple of things, Hector. Look, we we we've been on YouTube for some uh, in some capacity for nearly a decade. It's shocking to say that. Yeah. There have been plenty of people yeah. that have come along during the years and have just said, why don't you guys just do more with less quality? We have had that conversation many times. And Paul and I have always argued, and I'm not saying intelligently. You could certainly argue the other side convincingly. But we have just said, if we're going to have our names and faces on this, we want to be proud of the quality of the work. And so we haven't done that. So we have a kind of a backstory of staying by that quality, even to the point that when we lowered our quality a bit to get content out faster, fewer people watched, which we found quite interesting. Yeah. So yeah, this is exactly. definitely our thing. Um, the the whole reality, there's, there's, there's two divergent problems here. A TV development cycle is going to worry about where can we get the most viewers from the broadest range with the, the least amount of work and cost. Well, you got something like Wheeler Dealers, which is a niche show. The part of it that is the most expensive to make is the time it would take to properly cover somebody properly doing garage work. This is not – look, I'll be honest. That's not a fun shoot. Uh, he, I'm doing this right now. Shoot me doing this. All right, come back in an hour. Right, right. Uh, that's not a fun shoot. It's not a cost-productive shoot. I can see it from a producer perspective. I respect him like crazy for going, look – I am not going to cut corners just for the benefit of production. He feels like that is being dishonest in his work. I get that. I totally get that. Luckily, we're not a build show. Uh, But at the same time, we've had TV conversations prior to our current deal that were essentially standard TV conversations. And what I mean by that is it was, well, let's see if we can get a female host. Uh, To add to you guys, let's see if we can start making funny and comedic segments uh, wouldn't it be funny if these are all showstoppers for us? These were all conversations where we went, thanks for your time, because we do what we do. We do our car show in our style, and there are many of you that like it. We know that keeps it as a niche thing, but we also think we're doing something that isn't being done otherwise, and we like the way we do it. So we are a united front, and thankfully we're getting the velocity with that content, which is thrilling. Yeah, I will jump off a little bit more into that and talk about the reality TV shows like Big Brother, something like that, where the editing is not sure. done yeah. by 
uh, the people who are on camera, the people in the show. Oh, yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. They're, they're living their lives, and obviously they're putting themselves in embarrassing situations on some of these reality shows. And the editors will go for the gold. If there's tears or mm-hmm. drama mm-hmm. or emotion or anything in that human experience you know, category, they'll go for that. They'll put it in, whereas that person's probably severely embarrassed by that or you know, whatever Possibly, they said. Yeah. And the editors and the producers will try to milk that and pump that up and promote that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. put that on display, whereas that's not something that's ever appealed to us from being, as Todd said, from being produced, from saying, yeah, you guys should come across this way. And you know, we want yeah. to come across yeah. as professionals in what we do and you know, all those things. But you know, it's, it's important to – you know, to still still reveal the sides of you, but not, you know, not to the point of embarrassment. I I don't think you know it's well, and 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 there's a, there's an actual term. I'm not kidding. There's an actual term in editing, and I have a friend that used to work on a lot of reality shows. I've used this term because I've worked on some documentary stuff where this is possible. There's a term called Frankenbiting. Okay, Franken- and what, what that means is Franken Frankenbite, as in you know Frankenstein, but think of a sound bite. A sound bite. So it's Franken, a Frankenbite. B-Y-T-E. Bite. Yes, exactly. A Frankenbite is this. That person doesn't say what I need them to. So I'm going to go and I'm going to find all the words I need to build that sentence. And if I build it properly and I put a nice shot of B-roll over it instead of that person on camera, I can kind of make them say what I need to. This is bread and butter of reality TV editing, folks. And you can get granular with this to the point, I'm not kidding you, you can steal syllables out of certain words and build other words. I've done it. I've seen other editors do it. It is the primary thing that happens in the world of reality television. If they need to move the narrative, such as it is, in a certain way, they start frankenbiting the heck out of it, and they make people say things they actually didn't. You're kidding me. Absolutely not. That turns my stomach like you wouldn't believe. It Welcome to what happens to make those shows work. I mean, a lot of them are staged scenarios to begin with. Of course, with, they're very. But even beyond that, too, you know. But even beyond that, they can they can frankenbite. They frankenbite like crazy. I'm not saying everything everybody says is that way. But if you need somebody, if they said something this direction, you need to say them the other direction because you can't get that person in for for voiceover. You've got to make them say this other thing to lead us from scene A to scene B. You frankenbite it. You build it. Unbelievable. That is – Yeah, it's nuts. That is not us, obviously. We are the furthest thing from that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, true. <laughs> Unbelievable. And, and that's we aren't scary that to think because about. It's you, because it's you and me, and I know well, us yeah. both, and I'm not yeah. going to have us say something that's not who we are. But, of course, if, yeah. you're, if your job is to just be the editor and you need to tell the story in a certain way, you're not linked to that person. You're linked to making the story work. Right. Right. Totally get it's your it. Job yeah. to make the story work. How mm-hmm. how it's, absolutely how you want the absolutely. To go. Yep. In fact, the guy that I know that wow. used to do this in L.A. Has, has since left L.A. and he got he left because he pretty much said to me one day he said, "I have I am way past the point of being impressed with my ability to Frankenbite, and now it just kind of makes me feel dirty." Really? So it was interesting. Yeah, he was just like, "I just can't do that anymore." I'm, I I did it for he did it for a long time. He was just like, "I've gotten to the place where." I don't want to sit there and build something that doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So it's very interesting. Mm. Wow. Well, there's a question here from Thomas about insurance that I wanted to touch on. He's talking about okay. insurance on electric cars and the fact that insurance companies don't want to deal with them, so therefore prices are higher. I'm curious, for those of you listening who have electric cars, has your insurance gone up? And if so, mm. is it dramatic? Because – you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a Tesla in L.A., obviously. <laughs> I mean, they're or, everywhere. They're, or they were anywhere on in sale. San Francisco. They're everywhere. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anywhere on the West Coast. Anywhere on the coast. Michigan yeah, is getting a definitely. ton of them. Ohio has a lot of them. They're everywhere. Yeah. And I think, all right, well, all these people are driving electric cars. Now, maybe they're in a price or a uh, tax bracket, income bracket, where – that doesn't matter, and they can go ahead and mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. pay the insurance and whatever the uptick was anyway. But I'm curious because there's going to be all the electric cars that you and I are interested in 
for our listening yeah. audience, the Bolt, the yeah, Kia certainly. Soul EV, the Golf Electric, all these. <laughs> the Soul comes back around, ladies and gentlemen. That is, please. Do you like so that? So whoever's updating, I threw that whoever's in there. updating the drinking game, please, please tell me that the Kia Soul is on there. If it's not, there is a massive missed opportunity. I anyway. agree. It's in there. I, I did that on purpose. But you know what I'm saying. So they, you know, the Bolt mm-hmm. forty thousand yeah. dollars. Does that mean, gosh, insurance is going up? So I'm, I'm curious. Thomas, I have not seen articles. I've not seen a whole lot of, you know, of talk about this kind of thing. I think a lot of it is I wanted the electric car. I want this in my life. I don't really mm-hmm. care what the insurance costs because I want the electric car. I want the benefits of it. But sure, I'm just yeah. curious if some of you have seen a massive well, jump. I, I'm curious. Let us know. One of the things that I have heard that is possible on this, and I would be curious to talk to a Tesla owner about their insurance realities, but I have heard that up to this point, and of course Tesla is fighting hard to get into a mass market situation where they're creating tons and tons of everything, but up to this point, cars, Teslas that are wrecked are some of the hardest things to get parts for because they're all going to the new car. Mm -hmm. So if you get a really badly wrecked Model S, good luck getting parts. That's the kind of stuff that an insurer will raise your rates for because if they've got to pay for a used – I mean a rental car for you for longer and your car is going to cost more because it's got to be in the shop and you've got a special order parts, instantly your rates go up. Mm-hmm. If you get somebody yeah, yeah. like a GM making a Bolt – and I'm not saying Bolts are everywhere yet. They aren't. But let's just say for sake of argument, Chevy does make a ton of them and they have tons of available parts. Then it stands to reason that your insurer is not going to care. If they can, if you get your bolt dinged in a uh, commute accident and they need a whole new bumper, and GM goes, "Yeah, we got a dozen," then it's not a problem. <laughs> so that that's the big thing: is how easy are these cars to fix? Because ultimately, yeah. that's all the insurance company cares about. I could just see a mechanic saying, "Well, what you got here is a classic case of your bolt getting dinged. That's what happened here. So uh, exactly. we're gonna have to change a whole bunch of stuff here. It's gonna cost you an arm and a leg." And- that's that's the technical term for what happened. Your bolt got dinged. Yes. Uh-huh. Excellent. Ay, ay, ay. Off into the weeds we go. Uh, what other questions did you come up with? Uh, well, anything I had, else? I had, I had one more that I wanted to touch on briefly. Scott asked the question about good seats. He said, okay, good seats. What's the deal with why why do they happen? Because he made the comment that he got in a Fiesta ST at the auto show and was boggled by how good the seats are. So he's sitting here going... Why aren't good seats, quote-unquote, and he put it in quotes, why aren't they standard? Why aren't all cars equipped with good seats? And how is it possible that a cheap car like a Fiesta ST can have great seats and the next cheap car next to it doesn't? <laughs> the accountants approved it on the spec sheet. They, this they is exa- slid it Paul's, past the accountants. Paul's nailed it. Paul's nailed it. I mean, I'll, I'll go to my FRS for a minute. <laughs> Tons of people complain about the quality of the FRS, but one thing they got right is seats. The seats in that car are great. You don't know how many cars. And actually, seating position and the ergonomics in general for a driver are superb. Plenty of other things can be argued about, bad in the interior. But they got the seating position and the seats themselves very correct, Mm -hmm. superbly correct, to the point that you wouldn't believe the number of cars I've climbed out of, good cars, cars we enjoy, cars that are fun to drive. And I climb to the FRS and just go, wow, this feels right. It feels Mm -hmm. right in here. Not because it's my car, but because the seats are great. It is an accountant decision beginning and end. Look at why the Evo went from great seats to terrible seats. Well, they lost their deal with Recaro, and they had seats available on the shelf. Those seats are going in. That's you know a I mean? great example, actually. Yeah. It really so, is. I mean, it, it is. It, and the other thing about it is you have to think about it in volume scale, okay? Uh if if an accountant comes to the guy that is the design lead and says, I want to put good seats in, but the good seats are going to cost uh, 30 bucks more a car. And you think, as a consumer, you think, 30 bucks more a car? I'll pay 30 bucks more to have good seats. But if they're going to make 100000 of that car, you're now trying to get the lead of the project to approve millions oh, yeah. in upcharge yeah. oh, yeah. for the car. And that's going to get killed before he takes his next sip of coffee. So somebody has to decide that this is paramount in this car, like an FRS, like a Fiesta ST. We need to make seats paramount. And then there is the other side, and that is the seats in the FRS, the, or, or the really aggressive bolstered seats in an Evo, if you found that in an Audi A8, wrong place to be. Oh, absolutely. So you also have, yeah, to, yeah. They have to think about the target market for the car in question and then try to make seats 
theoretically, that are correct for that market. Yeah, and I like that Recaro is increasing in their tier one supplier nature and you know, they're showing up across the board and now they're doing custom seating designs that match the interior and the size of vehicle and you're not gonna mm -hmm, find those Recaros mm -hmm. out of the Focus RS in the Cadillac CTSVs. But sure, you sure, know, you'll find point. other iterations of Recaros across all the industry. And so they, they yeah, really great. are a, a number one supplier in terms of seating because the designers are going to want to design specific seats for that car. This is not, you know, to pick up on this term, it's not a Franken car. It's not, well, we'll put these yeah. cool wheels on. We'll yeah. put those yeah. seats in. Well, we're not building a car in a shop, people. We're designing everything about the experience about the car. So they need custom Hopefully. seats built unless mm -hmm. somebody like Recaro can step in and say, you know what? We can build something very close to what that is. We'll put the Focus RS stitching on there. We'll make it very, yeah. you know, yeah. very close. And these will be the seats. And they have to work for this enthusiast type of car. Done. Great. And we'll take some, sure. you know, the, the power requirements out of the seat, you know, so they're not fully function, but they're more mechanical, you know, analog kinds of uh, interactions. Great. You know, that saves them money too. So there's always those discussions going on. And what kind of car is it? What do the seats require? You know, mm -hmm. all those. That's it. That's a product planning decision. That's designers trying to push through their designs. And then mm -hmm. what type of car is it? And what yeah. what is the price point? And then finally, are we going to pass that along to the consumer? If designers yeah. really want those seats in there, should we pass those along as options? Or is it not going to meet the price brief that we're trying to position this mm -hmm. car at? So. That's totally. that's the huge struggle, and that goes for every single part in the car. <laughs> You're if right. you think it You're was so just right. seats, <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah cars yeah, yeah. are big, expensive products, but they're made up of thousands of products. Everything uh -huh. tooled up, injection molded, CNC milled, all these stuff, all these parts have to be made, and yeah. that's the struggle. So you think. Well, why is that made out of plastic? And over here, it's made out of metal. Oh, look at the yeah. price of the car, you know? Yeah, seriously. Absolutely. Well, and it, it's a whole economy of scale thing. If somebody goes to the boss and says, boss, it's going to cost cost us, the company, 50 cents more a car. Well, times 100,000 vehicles, now you're costing the company serious money. Yeah. So, yeah, that's always the thing. I, as much as we make fun of the accountants, you can see the logic as to why accountants end up killing fun things on cars because mm – -hmm of volume or, you know, we're never going to make that money back. It's, Which means yeah, we'll it's, still it's, make it's, fun of the yeah. accountants. You know, we're not ending well, that yes. part of the fun, you know. No, I mean, that's isn't that a cornerstone of automotive journalism? It, it that, is. Isn't that something is. we're supposed to do? Yeah, <laughs> that's like perfect. the bedrock foundation right there. But, you know. You, you talk about, here's the two things end. you have to do. You have, you have to drive fast and call out your speed mile per hour. Right. 155, 150. You have to do that. Right. You have to at some point in your career describe a shifter as having a rifle bolt action, and you have to make fun of the accountants for something they did to your fun car. Those oh, yes. three things really are – that's really the triumvirate of being a car, a car journalist right there. So congratulations. Don't forget this handles like it's on rails. Don't forget that part. That's, that's well, always that's, a nice one to throw in. But you you can't even present yourself as a journalist until you've decided that that's okay. You know, yeah, that's clearly right. the key right. thing, you know. Because <laughs> once it was in Pretty Woman to describe, describe a Lotus, that became, you know, the standard. That's the, the, the gold standard for automotive journalism, clearly. And that's that's where we look. It always comes back we to are, the film industry, right? That's where it I love I love that you and I are this far in the weeds an hour and ten minutes into this podcast. Uh, thank you guys <laughs> for listening, for rating, for sharing, because all of that is helping. We really appreciate it. Uh, we keep getting some really nice reviews on the podcast, and it stays in the top ten. So thank you. There's a lot of other people that are popping up on podcasts, and we stay up there entirely due to you guys. Uh, and I do want to say again, podcasts aren't going anywhere. TV is coming. Podcasts are staying. And so it was the YouTube stuff. So thanks for being with us on all of it. Agreed. And don't forget the films, too. If you haven't seen any of our four films, we've got Blu-ray copies to send to you from Amazon. You can order those on Amazon or you can download the entire film or rent it on Vimeo. So look for those. That's our – those are our, our big eggs, the big enchiladas. So look yeah, for definitely. those. Hopefully those uh, appeal to you. And in the meantime, thank you. As Todd said, thank you guys. Really, really appreciate it. We mean it. Cheers.